Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Zach, it has been an interesting week leading up to Christmas. It has been very cold here. It's cold, man. Very cold. It's rainy too. It's which rainy. Is, which is just like it's cold outside, and the rain's like you know what? We're, I don't think they've had enough. We're gonna give them a little, but it's not quite snow. <laughs> but snow is better because snow doesn't doesn't hit you at a hundred miles an hour and like make the back of your neck crawl. Yeah, and and you know snow's pretty, right? It's got some snow's aesthetics pretty. to it. Yeah, and it flutters so, down and says, "Welcome, I'm comfy." Where rain, freezing rain is like. It just makes you miserable. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, they were saying snow on Christmas a couple weeks ago. Now, granted, that was yeah. a couple weeks ago. I don't think no, we're going to get any in Augusta necessarily. But, um, you know, it's it's it's, it's been coming. cold. It's yeah. been cold. It can happen. It can definitely happen. It can definitely happen. What what are you guys doing for Christmas? What does that look like for, for your family? We do um, Christmas Eve is with family, like extended family, and then Christmas morning with uh, our, you know, just our family yeah just the six of you guys right yeah i guess that's like a that's like a whole group, <laughs> it's a big, it's a big group. <laughs> yeah six of us nice yeah so it's kind of uh, take it easy in the morning with family what we then, do yeah okay. we you know we'll have good breakfast or and or brunch um and uh yeah it's just a good time definitely what what us. are you, what are your thoughts on gifts giving gifts receiving gifts do you have any any words of wisdom on I don't know just the practice of gift giving? Is that something that you guys do? How do you think we do? That with your kids? We do. I like. I'm a big fan of. I don't like when like you just send an item to somebody and say, "Hey, buy this for me." Oh yeah. Okay. I like when. So it's fun with kids because they go wild, and they sure. make you know like hundreds of things that they want. Sure, sure, sure. And from that list, you know, we we pick the things that we think would be fun or beneficial for the kids. I like that kind of list, mm. the gift giving, where like you've got a, a lot of options and then you can add a little bit of your own personality into it as opposed to like, hey, these are the three things I want and that's it. And therefore, well, it's like, okay, well. And they know that it's coming. Yeah, it's not, right. Yeah, it's gift not giving to me needs to yeah. have a little bit of ambiguity. Yeah. And sometimes stuff outside the list. Yeah, because like, I don't know. That's, that's, how, that's how I like to receive gifts and give gifts is I don't want to just get you what you want. Because then it's like, at the end of the day, you know, we're planners. So at the end of the day, it's like, well, why don't we just not buy gifts for anybody and, and I'll get what I want yeah. and then you can get what you want. <laughs> Which is, it seems like you're incorporating the relational aspect of, hey, like I'm spending time thinking about Exactly, that's what matters, you. right? The right. time spending, yeah, yeah, who are they? What do they like? Um, I think that's the cool part of gift giving is yeah. when you actually, your gift is a reflection of who, how you know them or who they are. Yeah, so. that's that's great. Yeah, that's Okay, cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, uh, we are glad that you have decided to uh, join us listening on this show. It's going to be a good show today. By the way, I'm Matthew Travis, and I am a certified financial planner and an advisor here at the firm. Yeah, and I'm Zach Albanese. I'm a financial advisor. been here almost two years now, been in the industry for a little over three. Awesome. Very good. And we're excited to have you listening to us today. On our weekly show, we are up exclusively every week on Friday afternoons. Uh, so you can find uh, our show uh, through our website, through moneymd.net or iTunes every Friday and listen to us anywhere in the world. I wonder where the farthest person who's listened to us has been. I'm sure we could probably find that out. Yeah. Wow. Anyways, all over the world. Yeah. You can also check us out online. Again, moneymd.net. 
Um, our phone number is 706-739-0725. Um, but to start the show out, we're going to start with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, so the financial fact this week is having to deal with the IRA penalty, the 10% penalty rule. Mm. And typically, it's people know it as if you take out money from your IRA before 59 and a half, you have a 10% penalty. But here are seven exceptions to the 10% penalty for mm. IRA. So the first one I mentioned was the 59 and a half. Yep. Um, that's an exception. Uh, the other ones are maybe a little less known. So if you, um, so medical, education, death, disability, first time home purchase, or equal payments, which is a 72T rule, which is a little bit, little complex. Mm. But um, yeah, I don't know, Matthew, if you wanted to comment on any of those. I mean, obviously, we're just kind of glossing over it a little bit. But yeah, what what do you see most uh, besides, obviously, you know, you're not penalized if you attain 59 and a half. What are some other things that you see here? Yeah, so we've had a lot of clients recently asking us about first-time home purchase. And there's different rules and percentages that can be excluded from the 10% penalty, you know, with education and medical and first-time home purchase. For example, first-time home purchase is $10,000 currently that you can pull out of an IRA if it's your first home and not pay that 10% penalty. You still pay right. taxes on it. Right, you always pay you're always going to be the yeah, they will get they will get their taxes <laughs> yeah right. but the penalty you avoid correct correct that's exactly right so and, and again each of those seven have slightly different rules and numbers and exemptions but the 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 reality is we typically say leave your money in IRA accounts because that's for retirement but we do right. have clients that are like hey I will need this for this specific medical or education or something and sometimes it can make sense so again you know, these are just uh, for for your knowledge, but mm -hmm. um, seven seven ex exceptions for the ten percent penalty um, can be helpful. Yes, it can. So that's, that's right. a financial fact. Yeah, and um, you know, we got two topics today. We'll get into the first one in just a moment, but the first one, I'll, I'll just give you a a brief snapshot: is the ten sorry the top ten mistakes people make when planning for retirement. And then our second article, Matthew, what is it? It's going to be, uh, you know, reassessing your risk tolerance. So, okay. you know, really seeing how much equities versus fixed income you should have in your portfolio based on where you are. Um, that's going to be the second That's a good question, especially as be, we end a year and begin yeah. a new one to think about your risk tolerance and your risk portfolio. That's exactly right. All right. Well, should we dig in, dive into the first Let's do it. bit here? Okay, this Let's is from it. Barron's. This is called, or the, the title is, as I just mentioned, are the top 10 mistakes people make when planning for retirement. So, um, and this this surveyed a, a kind of a, a bunch of financial planners, and it, these 10 emerged from the survey um, as the, you know, the top 10. Sure. So, number one um, mistake that people make when planning for retirement, and actually, I mean, I'm not surprised it's number one. Uh, I'm surprised... I am surprised that most people don't realize this, and it's mm. they underestimate the impact of inflation. Interesting. Um, so you know this this needs no expl explanation in 2022 because, as we know, inflation has been rampant. We've felt it. Uh, oftentimes, we don't feel it. You know, when it goes up just by the kind of the the 20, 30, 40 year average of two and a half percent, you don't really feel it from year to year. But right. this year, you know, hitting nine percent. You do see that, whether it's at the pump, we saw that a little bit this year, or at the grocery store. Um, so, you know, this is w one of the biggest uh, impacts that your 
inflation is one of the biggest impacts that can affect your retirement planning. And so, you know, the S&P yeah. so far, I mean, this year is down, you know, it's, it's waffle, but let's say it's down 19% so far. But in real purchasing power terms, the figure is much more brutal. Mm. Um, so we can't, you, I mean, the returns don't really, they're not tangible to right. us right now. You can't, you can't eat that, meaning returns before, um, you know, like you don't really feel that as much as you feel the groceries you buy. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and really the, the thought with this, and you said it earlier, Zach, is, you know, okay, what's what's the normal 3% inflation really mean? Like, okay, like next year, right. gas is, you know, or groceries are 3% more. Okay, that doesn't really matter. But you're at 30 years from now, if you do 3% annualized for 30 years, it's a very large number that you then have to make up with the investment returns. That's right. Um, so that is, that is a very big component that people don't often give a lot of thought to. Exactly. Yeah. So that's number one. What's number two? Yeah. Underestimating how long you will live. Um, cue longevity risk, right? Uh, sure, your savings can last 10 or 15 years, but what about 30? Um, this is a this is a, a common mistake that people often don't uh, really value. I, I, Zach, I'm sure you've heard this from some of our clients, but we plan to age 95 right. in our retirement plans. And yep. We have people all the time saying, Oh, come on, guys. We, we are not going to live to 95. Like, hey, put 90 in the plan or put, we've had as low as 82 that someone has said, hey, put that as my, the end date for my portfolio at age 82. Um, that being said, people are living longer than, than they have in the past. So we do like to be more conservative on that. Another underestimated point of longevity is joint longevity. Mm -hmm. For example, a couple uh, age 65 is about a 50, they have about a 50-50 probability that the husband will live to age 83 and the wife to age 86. However, there is another, there's a 50% chance that at least one of them will live to age 90. And so couples really do need to plan for the eventuality that they could live a lot longer than they thought possible. Uh, if you underestimate your longevity, there is a risk that you run out when you need it the most, when you're not able to work and when you need medical supplies or some kind of support from that standpoint. So that is, that is a big risk. Yeah. And the next one here we have is uh, overestimating investment income. So a lot of times people think about, you know, they want to hit that. I want to, you know, I want to be a millionaire by retirement. And they think that that that's like the, they've made it home, right? That's home base. Right. But really, you know, the and sometimes people will just focus on rule of thumbs more than anything and point out, you know, the so-called 4% rule that gets you on a million dollars, $40,000 a year, which might be fine at 65. But sure. again, going back to inflation, you have to plan not necessarily what you need at 65 at retirement, mm -hmm. but you need to plan um, as you as you age and, and what your needs are. Yeah, so it's, right. it's a little bit more complex than simply um, having these rule of thumb numbers uh, that, that you have in the back of your mind. Uh, number four is similar to that, but on the flip side, being too conservative in investments. Um, so you want to make sure you can outpace inflation. I mean, inflation seems to be the theme of this this uh, article, this top 10 <laughs> yeah. mistakes. But you don't want to be too conservative because say you have enough, you want to, you do want to outpace inflation with your how much you're spending every year, how much you're drawing down, and not get eaten up by this inflation number. So, you know, based on history, over the average of 20-year period stocks, would have made you six times as much money as something like a, a treasury bill, not, wow. not earning you much. So um, it's just important to make sure you understand your risk well, which we'll get into later with our yeah. 
risk reevaluation. Right. <laughs> but um, you know, just making sure that that you're projecting your uh, planning your your investments out more than just for the short term. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, that's great. The The next one, number five, um, financial advisor, advisors um, are seeing that clients are expecting returns to exceed 17.5% per this uh, per this article, per the study, which yeah. that's a very high number. That's very high. To be expecting that on an annualized basis for the entirety of your you know, investing career. So, you know, and even some advisors have a pretty high standard for what the return should be. We we do see higher returns than we do plan in our retirement plans. Um, but it is, it is dangerous. It can be dangerous to overestimate what that is. So yes, one of the reasons we are conservative is again, we don't know what's coming in the future. We can look historically, um, but it is good to, to be conservative on those plans. Well, yeah. And, you know, we look at the last five years, even last 10 years, and they've been extraordinary for market returns. Right. And it's easy to have a sense of like a recency bias and say, well, hey, it's been five, 10 years. Like, that's a long time. Therefore, right. it's always going to be that way. And that's just not the case at all. No. And, you know, I've seen some examples of clients who, yeah, like, well, I've, yeah, I've had 17% returns in my retirement plan for the last four years. Like, why can't I expect that going right. forward? And so right. I think realizing, yeah, you, you don't know what the future holds. Mm. And so um, I think it's important to, yeah, to, to err on being a little more conservative in your planning. And then if it's higher than that, everyone's happy. Right? Exactly. No one's going to complain that you outpaced what the plan says. If you underperform, that's when people are less than pleased. Yeah, that's right. Um, with that. So number six is forgetting to factor in healthcare costs. Yeah, this is big. This is big. Healthcare is no small expense in retirement. Um, you know, th this is one of the biggest things that people can overlook. It can be a sleeper, um, you know, thing that people just, again, just don't think about. But, you know, be specifically because they think Medicare covers it. Um, according to a Fidelity estimate, um, the average 65-year-old couple who retired uh, this year, 2022, will need a little over $300,000 to cover future healthcare costs. And while basic Medicare is partially free and partially reasonably modest for most people over 65, uh, you'll still have to handle out-of-pocket costs like deductibles, copays, and coinsurance. And um, you know that that is something that you know, especially if you retire before age 65 before Medicare, that is something that we would tell retirees, you have to figure that out before yeah. you retire. Because again, medical before retirement, excuse me, before age 65 and after can be very expensive. Yeah. Sometimes you might have a spouse who's younger and working and, and right. you can, you know, you can go on their plan or sometimes your situation might, it might make sense to, or it might be easier. But if you both aren't working and you're not yet 65, that can be that can be a tough situation, but there, you know there's some ideas we have, but it's not a one size one size fits all. Fits all, Is yeah. That, it's, no, it's, and it's not. It's it's yeah. gonna it's gonna fluctuate per person. Yeah. You're right. So all right, number seven is failing to understand income sources. So retirement used to depend on what they would call a three legged stool, which was your pension, your savings, and social security. But today, anyone you know, hardly anyone in the private sector has a pension. We still right. see some of them, but they're not as common as it used to be. And so you have to ask the question, are the other two legs strong enough to support your retirement? Um, you know, among the blunders many people make is claiming Social Security too early if, if they don't mm. need to. Those who wait longer to age 70 will get nearly 80% more each month than those who start claiming at 62, though then they don't have the, those eight years getting Social Security. Sure. So there, there is a trade-off. And typically, 
this is where it really sits or pays to sit down with your advisor and talk through your situation because even though you get paid more at 70, um, you know, you don't have as long to earn that income. Right, so right. Um, the number eight is relying too much on public benefits. Um, so talking about Social Security, Social Security Administration reports that the average benefit for a retiree is about $20,000 a year. And for about two-fifths of people over 65, their Social Security benefit accounts for at least half their income. Meanwhile, even the more prosperous may not realize that Medicare will not cover their long-term stay in a nursing home. Interesting. And you'll have to spend down all your savings before Medicaid will step in. So public benefits are nice. Social Security is nice. Getting an extra $20,000 a year is a nice boon for your retirement income, but you can't solely rely on things like uh, public benefits to provide for you in retirement. So, yeah. And the other thing with that, Zach, just one note on that is we see a lot of times when we build retirement plans, we build, if you're married, you know, both spouses, social security lasting until mm-hmm. age 95. And it's something that is very hard to plan for, but it's good to think through is that if typically most spouses don't die simultaneously. And so one spouse is going to have just one social security That's at some right. point. So, you know, that, that is, there's not necessarily an action step on that, but just understanding, you know, are we relying too heavily on social security times two, you know, for the couple, um, you know, are we able to make that up if one were to drop off is, is good to think through. Yep. All right. And then to wrap up two more, number nine is underestimating real estate cost. Uh, if you have paid off your mortgage by the time you retire, you'll still be facing rising property taxes, insurance, and maintenance costs. If you haven't, you're going to pay rent, and those costs rise with inflation as well. Um, Retirees often consider their home equity part of their savings, um, but to do that, you have to sell your home and get the equity to then be able to draw income off of for the most part. So you know, that, that's something that we, we do include on the retirement plan just from a visual standpoint, but yeah. we don't include that as an income generator just because it's it's yeah. your house. Yeah, you need a place to live. I and mean, sometimes, you know, we could advise you if, if a house is too big, sell a house and, and downsize. Sometimes we do that. But in, at the end of the day, we really want to look at your liquid uh, investment. So yeah, that's right. And then this last one, number 10, is um, being too aggressive. Um, and I would honestly add in there being too conservative. And so mm-hmm. this is a pretty good segue into the next article, but it's getting your allocation correct, right? We, we don't want um, any of our clients, but specifically retirees to um, be in segments of the market that are unhealthy for them, like cryptocurrency or Tesla or just single individual companies, right? We want to use mutual funds and things that are broadly diversified. But also if you're drawing income off your portfolio, we would say, okay, maybe having some fixed income in there, then when the markets go down, it provides a place to draw income from. Yeah. So not being too aggressive, but also the other risk is to say, okay, well, the markets are volatile. Let's just put it all in cash, right? And then what you're doing is you're not then able to outpace inflation um, and it can hurt you It can hurt you long-term. So That's right. you know, both the conservative, too conservative or too aggressive um, is, is a mistake that people enter in retirement can make. Yep. Yeah. You want to be properly allocated based on your risk and your needs and all those sorts of things. So if you find yourself in one of these 10, you know, think about them, reach out. We'd be happy to kind of sit down, reevaluate your plan and and um, see what we can do to help. And so that's the top 10 mistakes people make when planning for retirement from Barron. So that was a good one. Um, 
Let's do, uh, what do we got now? Question of the week? Question of the week. What's the question I, of the week, I Mr. Will, Travis? I will ask the question, and I'm going to ask that you answer it, because I'm interested to hear what you say. <laughs> okay. Question is this. My child does not want to listen <laughs> to me, nor respect me and my wife. Should we continue to fund his college education and his lifestyle? Now, this is a good question, because it's not, uh, it's very real. Right, and oh, yeah. and this is a question that is not necessarily empirical, where we can give a black or white answer. This is kind of an opinion. So, Zach, what what would you say to that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, it it's how old is the child? You right. know, that's a good question. College first. age. Right? Yeah, so, okay, college age. All right, all right. So, they're college age, and and I, it sounds like this question came out of, uh, hey, we're we're trying to help our son start off on the right foot, get a college education, support him through school. And it sounds like there is a lack of respect, maybe a lack of, hey, like I want um, to thank you parents for doing this. And it seems like there is this this dishonoring that the son is doing towards his parents. And yeah, it's a good question as far as, you know, what what the parents should do. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I would say I've got little kids now, so Fast forward 10 years. Fast forward. I would say if they're disrespectful and not listening and you're providing a benefit, you know, I think to, to really sometimes, uh, you know, the, the, the best way to learn is, is through the, the toughest love. Right. And so I think value teaching a child to value your, whether it's funding college, your wisdom when they're not listening, sometimes you, Sometimes you just got to pull the plug, honestly. Yeah, that's right. And and so Ron Blue had an interesting quote on this, and this is talking about generational wealth and beneficiaries, but I think it applies to this as well. He says, you should never pass wealth without wisdom. And really the thought with that is to say, if you have, a, if you have an heir that is going to squander the money, it is okay to give them some money, but there must be some parameters for them to steward the money that you are entrusted in them well. And I think you can apply that to the situation to say, Man, if, if this son is not stewarding these responsibilities well, there's going to be a change in how we're approaching this in the future. Not always, and this is, again, not black and white, but I would say having a conversation with your son, you know, thinking through that with other people, getting a third party in there to help can be beneficial for that. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's no better way to build character than to go through the, the trenches yourself. And so I think if, if um, yeah, that's a lesson that you teach your child and... I think it's through your through your withholding of the these benefits that they'll they'll learn, yeah. they'll develop and grow and, and become kind of who you wanted them to be. So yeah. Yeah. anyway. Good question. Little wisdom. Good question though. Little wisdom from Matthew <laughs> Travis. So. And that's right. Okay. All right. Well, this is um the third the second article we're gonna jump into now. Question is this is it time to reassess your risk tolerance? This is from Charles Schwab. Great article. It's okay. from like Chuck. He <laughs> he sent this in. This he talked right. talk to him. <laughs> yep. So this is from from the website. <laughs> okay. um, but this is a good question, and we'll go through this now. So the question is really, how much risk can you handle? The question may surprise you. Market shocks are an inevitable part of investing, but that doesn't make them any easier to stomach. Whether you're just starting out or you've been saving for decades, watching the value of your uh, earned money. Um, drop overnight can cause you to question the entire system and process. Whether the market is going up and up, it, uh, it's when it's going up and up, it's easy for, for investors to think they're more comfortable with risk than they actually are. 
I mean, who who would complain when the S and P was averaging fifteen to twenty percent per year for five years in the early two thousands and in the recent years as well? Um, but whenever these indices drop, um, people may be forced to confront their true risk tolerance. Um, so how do you go about reassessing your tolerance for risk, uh, come what may? And so there's three questions that we'll go through that can help you identify that. First question, how much can I stand to lose emotionally? So investing is, is really an act of faith to say nothing of willpower. You know, the assets that offer the highest potential reward are often the riskiest assets. But you know, if you can steel yourself against occasional surges in volatility, you're more likely to reach your long-term goals. If, of course, the investment have the investments have a proven track record and they're mm-hmm. not isolated in the strategies. The question is, how much risk can you really handle? Mm. And to help answer that question, I think considering the downsides and the upsides of five hypothetical portfolios, starting with let you know, let's say twenty five thousand dollars from a conservative portfolio with the smallest allocation of stocks to an aggressive portfolio with the largest allocation of stocks, and each have let's say you know a twenty percent increment up to the aggressive, which yeah. is almost one hundred percent. So the greater the allocation of stocks, the greater the potential downside, but also, the greater the potential upside uh, of gains. So, anyway, I think when you look at your the aggressiveness of your portfolio, can you stomach? You know, we're looking at a chart here. Obviously, you can't see a chart, but can you stomach um, losing? You know, thirty six percent in a year. Um, and if you if you kind of recoil at that, <laughs> you know, maybe go down a little bit. What is what about twenty five percent? What about twenty? What about twelve percent? You know, sure. where does it feel right to you? Sure. But then on the flip side, you know, there are those are the down those are the down years. Um, what about gains of thirty six percent? You know, thirty percent. You know, these are we're looking at a, a different years and and the gains that a that a portfolio has had. But I mean, if you think about it, when it comes to emotions, mm. how much can you handle volatility? Yeah. And those up years are great; they make you feel great. But can you can you really stomach that downturn? And yeah. You know, looking back to two thousand eight, when the S and P was down over fifty percent. Goodness, um, 2008, 2009, like that. That's a. I mean, it's half. Yeah, that's just. Huge. A, it's like it half evaporates. But we, you know, as we preach, staying in the market, how you know, watching it recover, stay invested. Yeah, you really haven't lost anything over the period of you know how long it took to recover. But can you handle these these downturns? Is the, the big question. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and you know, to help manage your emotional response to market volatility. Um, there was a study done in 1997, which was fascinating, and it basically showed that those who looked at their uh, financial accounts once a month versus once a year, yes, those who looked at it less had a higher risk tolerance on average than those who looked at it more. This is fascinating because it basically, if you look at it more, you're going to see all the dips. You're going to see mm-hmm. there are going to be ups in there, but you're going to notice the dips and say, oh, I don't like that, versus looking year to year saying, hey, over time, this is going up more than it goes down. Yeah, And so you can afford to be more aggressive because you can sleep better at night because you've disciplined yourself to say, I'm not going to look at this every Tuesday night. I'm going yeah. to look at it you know, every December and make sure we're on the right track. So yeah, if, you, if you do struggle with this, one more thing, you know, maybe that's something you put into practice. Yeah. You can say, hey, we're not going to look at this, but once a year. Yeah, and I think what, what you can correct me if I'm wrong on the statistic, but isn't it like if you... Uh, if you look at it every day, it's almost 50-50 if the market's up or down yeah. on a daily basis. But right. as you were saying, year to year, 
the market is up 75% of years to 25% down. Right. And so I think to your point, you know, it causes much more anxiety looking every day because yeah, you're, you're probably like, Hey, I've, you, I'm never making money because it's up one day and then down the next, but over year, over the years, year over year, um, 75% to 25%. That's a pretty good ratio. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right. The second one um, is how much can you stand to lose financially? Uh, this is a good question. This is kind of what you're hitting on earlier, but it's really asking, hey, if you have five years until retirement, um, you know, you, you probably want to be a little more conservative than if you than if you have 35 years, right? This is just going to be a different risk tolerance because you have a longer time horizon. The more equities you have, typically the more volatile the portfolio is. And if you're nearing retirement, you just simply mm-hmm. don't want to have a 57% down year in 2008. You want to have a exactly. 30% down year because you had some bonds mixed in there. So it's still a big drop, but it's much more manageable because you're nearing that retirement age when you're drawing income off. So, you know, a good question is, is how much can you stand to lose? Yeah. Yeah. And I think even, um, <clears throat> even if you're not near retirement, even if you have a long time to retirement and you're more aggressive, there are certain life events that can affect you. So, you know, whether you lose a job or some medical issue or health right. issue. So, you know, you just want to make sure you know yourself. And that's, I know the next question. Yeah. So we'll lead into that, but yeah, know yourself and how much risk can you stomach? How much can you stand to lose financially? Um, and I think it's just important to not just fall into these categories of, oh, I'm, I have 30 years left to work, so I need to be aggressive. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe, but it's important to really know yourself and to uh, point number three. <laughs> yep, and that's great. Yeah, <laughs> so in this third point to know yourself um, is good. Just break away a little bit. For financially, but also just in life in general, to ask yourself good questions of where you yep. are and to have people in your life who can ask good questions of where you are. That is such a gift to have good friends who can do that. Financially, it's also good to say, hey, you know, do you, do you worry about finances? Okay, why do you worry about finances? Okay, if it's because of the volatility, maybe we decrease that a little bit. So knowing your propensities to worry or to excitement, having people ask you questions, sitting down with an advisor and having them go through a risk analysis and say, okay, yeah, you should be in this range. That is generally good. Um, That can be helpful um, for for a lot of people. So knowing yourself is very important. Yeah. So I think in the end, you know, like you're saying, Matthew, really knowing your risk level is as much an art as it is a science. You know, we can have the right, um, the right categories, but, but you need to know yourself. You need to know your, what you can stand emotionally, what you can stand, um, you know, actually financially. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, that's why it's important to sit down with an advisor or just a trusted friend and really figure this out. So yeah. I think good a good article to read and look at near the end of the year, the beginning of a new year, start a New Year's resolution to say, hey, I really want to figure out my risk um, tolerance. So yeah, that's thank right. you. That's right. Good article. Good article. And then to wrap up the show, we have the prescription of the week. Yeah. So the prescription of the week for this week is think about your insurance situation. You know, so a lot of times we can think of all these other health insurance and um, the disability insurance and stuff. But what about your picture for your emergency fund and your and what happens if something happens to you? Do you, do you have your family covered in the event of a tragic yeah. accident? Um, so just look at your situation. Do you have enough to live on if you lose a job, hmm. or is your family okay? You know, I've got four little children. 
are they okay if something happens to me? Yeah, good question. And so just take it, take this time. I think in the holiday spirit, it's we it, we're encouraged to focus on other people, which mm-hmm. is obviously very good. Um, but look at your situation too, and and yeah. think, hey, can I survive, um, or can my family survive in the in you know in event of something tragic happening? So that's the prescription, Mister Travis. Very good, Mister Albanese. That is excellent. All right. Well, this has been this week's edition of MoneyMD. Tune in next week on MoneyMD.net to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check out our website, MoneyMD.net, and send us your questions. Or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. only and should not be taken as specific investment tax or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. All hosts are representatives of Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.